Andy, my dude, have you heard of the magical website builder known as Squarespace? Ugh, not another Squarespace ad. I feel like every podcast is sponsored by them. <laughs> hey, 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 don't knock it till you try it. Yes, okay, it is overhyped. But actually, it lives up to the hype. Squarespace is like a website fairy godmother. With a click of a button, your site transforms into a beautiful masterpiece. A website fairy godmother? That sounds interesting. What makes it so magical? Well, for starters, those slick templates make anyone look like a professional web designer. Pick one, customize the colors and fonts to match your brand, and voila. Plus, the drag-and-drop fluid engine is so easy, your grandma could build a site on Squarespace. Well, she did knit me a lovely scarf last Christmas. Maybe website design is next. Exactly. And when you're ready to sell your Nana's handmade scarves online, Squarespace has built-in e-commerce. Add a store with one click. Get flexible payment options. Then watch those sales roll in. And when she wants to teach others her steezy scarf skills, Squarespace's new courses feature is just the ticket. Nana can set up her curriculum and enrollments and payments in a snap and become the next e-knitting influencer. Wow, you really sold me with the grandma angle. Sign me up for that free try. Just go to thenextreel.com slash Squarespace and transform your site into a beautiful Squarespace masterpiece. Well, thanks, Pete. Even though it's overhyped, Squarespace actually sounds perfect for Nana's site's needs. Appreciate the warning on the ads, though. I'll brace myself next time I listen to a podcast. Anytime. Let me know if you need any help getting that site up and running. Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to support our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. Welcome to Trailer Rewind. Every month we go back and look at a film that Pete and Andy talked about in their trailer picks from the regular show. We watch it and have a very spoilery discussion about it. Today, we're going to talk about cake. I made a list and then I checked on the internet to see if they were different in Mexico. This is a lot. Frederick said they the small city. I think you have big problems. Receptivo. I want 
you to verbalize to Nina how her suicide affected you. She jumped off the freeway overpass, landed on a flatbed truck heading to Mexico. Her body got stuck in customs for like a week before Nina's husband could even claim it. Way to go, Nina. This was Pete's pick from January 2nd, 2015. And in his discussion about that, Pete talked about the cast and focused on Jennifer Aniston, mentioning that he thought she maybe stood a chance for an Oscar for this film. And Andy agreed that she looked amazing in this trailer and agreed that it looked like an opportunity for her to show that she's capable of some powerful performances. This is the first time that I didn't listen to the actual trailer picks. I didn't get a chance to do that before then. So uh, were there any highlights? What was it up against? Was there anything interesting there? You know, I I just listened to this little clip of it because th- this yeah. was this was really I think even though it's only over a little over a year ago, they weren't spending as much time really picking apart their trailers sure. on this sure. one. So that there there were just a few brief comments on this one. So that that's really about all they had to say on that one. Got it. Interesting. What which show was it on? That was the January second, twenty fifteen, and. It was the Poseidon Adventure. Oh, interesting. So totally a, a, a dynamic oh. difference. There. <laughs> they were in their disaster series or something like well, that. Well, I, I guess there could be some, I guess some there's language some... there. This is a disaster. <laughs> we're changing it up with this one. I mean, yeah. the, the past two films have been romantic dramas that really had some unconventional structures to them. This is not that kind of film at all. This is really a more straightforward typical drama had a lot of things that felt like those small independent films uh you know smallish cast really straightforward story my first question was is this something that you know the other two comet and mr nobody we talked about you know the rewatch and going back to find those things what about the rewatch value of this one? Well, this was a rewatch for me. So, uh, and the reason why is because it, you mentioned that uh, Andy had, or either Andy or Pete mentioned that Jennifer Aniston had a chance to win an Oscar for this film. I don't know if she was actually nominated for that. I actually should look that up in IMDb, but um, my wife and I are members of a number of different uh, unions from the industry. And so we actually received cake as a part of the nomination for the SAG awards that she received for it. So, um, so I watched it at that time and I, I actually watched it ahead of most of the movies that we just mentioned there, Comet, Mr. Nobody, and some of the other things that we'll get into and and think about, like Demolition. Um, I saw Cake first before all these, and um, as as in terms of a rewatch, it um, it it didn't have any more depth, I guess, than the original story, but the same feelings were there. And uh, it, Jennifer Aniston's performance is is really phenomenal. It's it's something that's very contrary to her character uh, in, in other things she's done. It's very, it's, it's really her stepping out of the box. And I think she does a great job of it. And I think that's the real big takeaway for me on this film. There are a lot of really artful things that, that happen with it as well. And it does, it is a commentary about grief. It's a commentary about tragedy. It's a commentary about pain. Um, and so those things are all interesting if you are into that sort of film, but it is very straightforward. And the biggest thing for me, and even watching it again this time, is really looking at how deep Jennifer Aniston is willing to go. And, and you really get that when you watch it, even even the second time. Yeah, that was some. this is a film that I just watched a couple of days ago, but it has really stuck with me. And you, you mentioned Demolition and another one of those films where we're looking at characters struggling with the grieving process. And this it's compounded because of the the chronic pain, yeah. um, but it's it the it's a real this for me this film really focused on the performance because the the 
the story is is really simple and straightforward and really sparse. We don't get a lot of exposition. We're, we're dropped right into the story with her at you know sort of the chronic pain you know support group. Uh, so we we don't know why she's there, where, what the source of the chronic pain is. We we slowly get those pieces sort of doled out to us throughout the film. We don't have a lot of exposition explaining this or her her monologuing about anything that about the past it's everything is very much set in the the present and discussing on what's going on now and and how she's dealing with all these people and situations and her sort of emotional response to you know sort of the the pain that she's in right now yeah and in that regard i think it 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 suffers for me as a movie watcher i i if you compare it to demolition i i really enjoy the the ability to go along in the story with jake gyllenhaal as he sort of as we discover his grief as well the sort of discovery of jennifer aniston's condition here was was tough for me in terms of the story it put me into and this might be by design if you look at the way the film is made but it's it's to set up a, a situation where you don't understand her grief and and for a while you don't even understand that it is grief it's just pain for a long time so um it, it, i i prefer the way that demolition went about that however it is the same sort of theme of uh sort of everyone's labyrinth of grief is different and this is these were the complications that she had to deal with in figuring out how to go on in her life. So the basic story to sort of set things up, you know, we've, we've talked about this. So Jennifer Aniston's, you know, character of Claire Bennett, we've got this, this chronic pain with this small film. It's um, I guess some similar to demolition. We get this section of, of her life. There's there, this is not the typical, uh, I guess, Act one, act two, act three story where things are building towards one sort of big ultimate moment. Um, this isn't the big, you know, inspirational, I'm going to overcome all my challenges and it's going to hit all those those key points along the way. It's very, I guess, in a certain way, episodic. You can break it down into specific sort of sections of where we start with her in the midst of her grief and, and how she sort of moves to the next phases of grief through the film. But it's really very short segments that are somewhat interconnected, but I don't see the traditional, like one main narrative thread carrying us all the way through with the film. And I think that's one of the, the challenges of a smaller film like this, where it's very character driven. It's here's Claire in this situation. So here's, here's Claire at, you know, with her breakdown at the support group where she just basically tells everybody off. It's sort of, I guess, triggered by the suicide of one of the members in their support group, um, Nina, who is played by Anna Kendrick, who appears to Claire at several multiple times throughout the story. We can maybe come back to whether those are key moments or what's going on. But that's sort of sort of the instigating event at the beginning of the film because it, it's perhaps pushing Claire a little bit more into where she needs to go in her story. But we get you know scenes with she finds out uh, who where Nina's husband is. Um, We've got scenes with Claire and her housekeeper and their quest to find drugs because clearly Claire is way beyond the regular dosage and, and prescriptions that she should be on because of this this chronic pain. So we've got these different little episodes that I sort of see as a, a collage of Claire's pain and grief. Yep. Yep. A collage of pain is a great way to talk about this film. And and you mentioned character driven. That is what this is. It, this, the story is there and there's and there's a purpose to the story, but this is really about the character and and how the audience can relate 
to the character, how the audience takes in the pain and grief of what, uh, of what uh, Claire is going through. And so Claire's not a very likable person at the beginning of the film. So why, why do we, as an audience, why do we, are we, why do we go along this journey with her? What is it that we, that uh, I guess draws us into her story? At which point I have to ask at which point, because I think the film does the job of endearing us to Claire through her story throughout. But at the beginning, I, you know, and I, I hate to say it, but I think it's because it's Jennifer Aniston. Oh, okay. yeah. So, it's a, <laughs> so the audience will give Jennifer Aniston a good ten or fifteen minutes to sort of see where she's going to go. Even though always she's cheering for Rachel Green, you are always cheering for Rachel Green, even if she's coming off as just this really obnoxious, just an angry person, manipulative, manipulative, Everything. Yeah. even User. right. Because, yes, they called her in the film. Yes. So things start to shift, though. Right. So, so we've got the we've got the Nina incident that's that's sort of the the beginning of the story. So I guess the the first I guess transition that I start to see happening is when she she tracks down uh, Nina's you know husband Roy, played by Sam Worthington. Right. So it's sort of her first attempt to really reaching out to someone else outside of the support group that she's basically been asked not to return to her you know her housekeeper that she just basically is you know it's her person to do what she wants her to do it's it's a very uh commanding you know relationship you know Silvana, go take me here Silvana, go take me here go do this go do this when she meets roy it's a very different interaction that's going on sure it's a different support yeah a different type of support so she manages to find out roy's address goes to the house doesn't tell roy who she is she comes up with a story that oh she used to live there roy lets her in she, you know, basically tours the house saying it's her, her childhood home. And then upon leaving, Roy reveals, oh, yeah, he knew she was lying all along and wanted to see how long she was going to go on with this game. Would you give her points for execution? Right? Yes. I, yes, exactly. <laughs> points for execution, which I thought set up an interesting dynamic with a, of, of sort of how he's dealing with his grief. Because here you've got somebody intruding on his life. He's going through this grieving process. He's just lost his wife and his wife was suffering from chronic pain, but we don't know why we don't know the story. Yeah. And they never talk about that. They They never talk. So, and and they've, they've got a child together. She left, uh, she, she committed suicide, jumped off, just uh, jumped off an overpass on the highway. So, so Roy's going through that grief and here, you know, Claire just shows up in his house for her own purposes, which is to find out more about Nina. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And that purpose is, is unclear. That's, that's part of that labyrinth of grief there again. Well, I think part of it is, at a certain point, Claire is wondering if she has the courage that Nina had to go through with just ending the pain. Because there's, mm-hmm. there's a scene at the, at the rehab center in the pool where she grabs a bunch of the weights and, and jumps yeah. into the pool. It's, but a, it's a suicide attempt. A suicide really attempt, is. yeah, and, and can't do it. And I think it's that, what is it that Nina had, or what was going on with Nina's life that she had that ability to follow through that Claire doesn't. Right. And so that's, that's the one thing I can really see is that connection that she has with Nina of sort of speaks to the, what type of person she truly is. Is she somebody that has maybe the strength of will to go through with a suicide or not? Hi. Hi. 
really didn't think I'd see you again. I have to get something off my chest. Okay. I am in a lot of pain. I know. You may know, but sometimes I suspect that you think I'm this uncooperative old bitch who's just making all of this up. Do you want to get better? Really? Do you want to? I do. Well, and, you know, as you're talking about this, it's, it's reminding me of another movie, which I think is the same year, which is Birdman. And, um, you know, and you, if you're talking about courage or conviction when we're talking about suicide, it's an interesting interesting language to use about it. But um, you think about Nina, the, the apparition, the, the Anna Kendrick apparitions that show up or hallucinations that show up and, and, and what, what part of Claire, what part of Jennifer Aniston's character is bringing that to her, whether it's the drugs or whether it's the suicide, whether it's the depression. And then you compare it against a movie like Birdman where um, the insanity, for lack of another word, it just never leaves him. So what is she being tested here? Is she being tested to see how much she loves life or how much she needs release from it? I don't know. I, I think it's a great question to ask in terms of this. And I think, I think it's purpose, purposely left open-ended in this film. And that, you know, that alone is, is one of the great parts of this story in that they're not trying to tell you. They're just trying to, again, go back to that character-driven thing of this is Claire. And, um, and what is she going to do? How is she going to go through this? How is she going to navigate this in her life? Yeah. I think that that really is the strength is that it, it presents, presents these characters in these scenes and, and leaves it to us to really decide how we're going to take these. It's not presenting us with this, with a specific agenda or point of view or, or message per se. I think that we can see the journey that she takes, but again, it's, it's giving us this almost very, you know, with, with just from an point of, outside point of view for us to make our own decisions about. And it's, so if we're going to talk about, you know, this being a really character-driven piece, we've, we've talked about Jennifer Aniston. We should probably talk about, because there there's, you know, some recognizable faces in this sure. film, maybe in an unrecognizable way sometimes, uh, because I, I had looked at the cast list and I saw, oh, Felicity Huffman and William H. Macy. So I thought, okay, you know, I'll, I'll recognize them and we'll see what they bring to this film. This is, you know, going to be really interesting to see having, you know, these, these actors in this film and what they bring to it. And they have very, very small parts. William H. Total Macy. screen time, two minutes, 10 seconds. <laughs> it's William H. Macy. I think it's 30 seconds where Jennifer Aniston basically, you know, pummels and kicks him. Powerful uh, scene. But, powerful but, scene. But a very powerful scene at a, at a crucial point. And, and, story. and a perfect cast too. Honestly, like it's William, that that is William H Macy's role in life is to be that <laughs> humble, terrible, meek. Uh, I'm sorry, but you can't beat up on him enough because he deserves it. And even the, love that guy. Love that. Guy. Oh no, I That's, love the, love that guy. And he brings role. brings the, the William H Macyness to that role in the few seconds that he's there. But <laughs> being true to this film, still who he is and what he has done is not particularly clear. No, no, that's for the viewer. That's it's in your mind, you know. And it, but it's it's terrible. I mean, it's clear that it, whatever he did was terrible. Oh, there was he did something, and there was a trial, and he feels horrible and guilty for that. And clearly, it's linked to to Claire's loss and her, you know, yes. her pain, her emotional pain, oh. and her physical pain, right. as well. But coming at a, a key point where she is having 
lunch with with Roy and his son, and it's this sort of starting to heal, you know, being social, and then this comes back. Um, right. William H. Macy's character Leonard shows up at the door, uh, wanting to apologize for what he has done, and it just I think reopens everything up for Claire. Um, Felicity Huffman, who plays Annette, who is the uh, coordinator of the uh, chronic pain support group. Yep. Uh, we have a couple scenes with her. Um, I think the most memorable is perhaps when Claire is threatening to to um, bring a lawsuit against yeah. against the group uh, for. I'm trying to think of the exact phrasing, but basically discriminating against her by kicking her out of the group, pretty much because they just don't like her. Right. Right. And she used much better words because she's a lawyer. I mean, yes. there is a lawyer in the film, but Felicity did a great job in that. I mean, she was visibly shaken in the way she said, but, but Claire, but a lawsuit. <laughs> I mean, I was very impressed with Felicity Huffman. Yes. And then uh, when Claire later tries to make amends by bringing a very large and expensive bottle of vodka. Uh, <laughs> That's a great scene. To it, to Annette, and Annette says, That's fine. Just put it on the floor. Don't come near me. I don't want you anywhere near me. Just put it on the floor. That'll be fine. Thank you. Yeah. And interestingly yeah. about Felicity. So I, when I watched this the first time, it had been before I had ever worked with her at all in this last season, I worked with her on American crime and she's such a fantastic person and she's such an entertainer and a leader and a, a, just a cast thing. And so now to see her in this role and to think about her in a different way was just awesome for me. I, I she's great. And I think, I think honestly, anything she does is awesome. The scene that you're talking about with the vodka it, I didn't get it. I didn't understand what the thing was. My, my in, inside, I was thinking, wait, is she an alcoholic? Is this, yeah. is this like an indecent proposal <laughs> of apology? I, I couldn't, I don't know. I was overthinking it, but yes. it was great. And the tension was awesome. And the shot, uh, the wide shot looking yes. out of the windows in the dark where Jennifer Aniston puts the vodka and you've got the separation of the two women. It was just really good stuff. Really, really great film. It just, I, there's so many ways that those, those simple things, I think, are artfully done in a way that really elevates. You've got the you've got the experienced, you know, actors that can bring all of that to just a few lines and how they present that 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 elevates this film. But then also you do have the artful presentation, you know, the how the scene is is presented to us gives us a little bit more about that. Gives some emotional weight to it, you know, as we often say, you know, adds that flavor to that because this is a very simple straightforward film it, it doesn't have you know a lot of uh, flourishes that draw attention to themselves uh, but I think just you know looking at how the film is is structured uh, really carries that through and I love how you brought up at the beginning uh, of this show about how different it is from the last few movies we've talked about in trailer rewind because there's all this subjective story element in in what we've been talking about and there's really sort of a, a sort of a, a fourth wall kind of creativity that isn't really here this is really taking a character driven film and then making it beautiful in terms of the emotion and it, it does a good job of that it's it's intense uh and what is what is felicity says at the end of that scene she says apology apology accepted now leave yes <laughs> and that to me is is exactly uh, is, is exactly how this film is. It's very straightforward, emotional, hard-hitting, and it, and it's worth seeing for that reason. Yeah, it, it is. And I think, you know, we we talked about Felicity and, and William H. Macy and, you know, minimal screen time for those, but really the film is carried by Jennifer Aniston and then Adriana Barraza, who plays Silvana. It's really the, the two of them. It's it's 
it's like the most unusual buddy movie you will ever see <laughs> yeah. uh, because Claire will just take Silvana and just ask the, the most of her to take, you know, it's time to go to Tijuana. You know, we're going to go, right. she's out of drugs and then they get there and the pharmacist starts asking questions and she's like, well, what is this? I thought I didn't need a prescription. And, you know, yeah. clearly it's, you know, she's used to having things go a certain way. Yeah, and, and Silvana in that scene, Silvana puts her hand up on the register, like, "What are you saying?" You know, I don't know. Yeah, that buddy aspect is is always evident when they're on the road together. Yes, uh, so just I think to me, that's what what really held the film together was the dynamic of of their relationship together. Did you the, get the sense that Silvana was part of the family before the tragedy? I, I did. That's yeah, I I think so. That's the that's the only thing that makes sense to me. Um, that she would stay with her because she'd seen what had happened to her to put her where, to put Claire where she is right now. Right. Because I I think she wasn't always that way. We, you know, she, you mentioned she was an attorney. There was a a very brief scene where she, she's talking in the car and I think she was an ACLU attorney because they're going to some neighbor oh they're in the car she's like oh are we in orange county right now right. she has some quite disparaging things to say about the people of of orange county do you only see white people <laughs> yes then we're in orange county <laughs> exactly so it so clearly i think it was she was an attorney for those that could not represent themselves those that you know sort of the underdog so somebody that i think traditionally would be considered someone of a good heart and then to see where she is now um i i in, in my head, Silvana is is someone that is sticking with her because she's seen that and knows that she can can be that good person. Yep. yep. And we, and we so and we we start to see her get there, you know, slowly through the film. The the I think for me the the crucial turning point for me where where things start to shift because I, I it's this very slow transition of Claire just being you know mean and demanding and thought okay how how long can this go but i i went back and i said okay there's a there's a pivot point here claire is at the rehab center talking with her physical therapist and she says no she she really does want to get better because we've seen earlier where it's like this is too hard this hurts you don't understand my pain and and claire has then turned and is now committed to she does want to get better yep yeah that was a great turning point for me that was definitely i think the whole film is a really wide circle it's a really wide turn right like you mentioned it's very slow for me the most emotional turn for me is this sounds terrible but when she's lying on the railroad tracks and she does the i was a good mother oh yeah that thing it's just oh just emotionally speaking and the and the the music cues through that section everything was just really opening up the heart to truly accept change um and it was so tense to, too with just a very subtle way to make things emotional and tense and uh, really good really positive that, that sort of long term that you're talking about so after the the train incident so after we've, we've sort of made this turn um they encounter a runaway that claire invites back to her house and we think oh claire's now bringing somebody into her home um and has, I think, one demand of her that she she requires this girl to bake a cake for yep. her. Yep. Um, which she does and then proceeds to steal Claire's purse and, and money and all that. But it doesn't phase Claire, really. She's like, I can cancel my cards, whatever. She takes the cake because it is um, 
Roy's son's birthday. Casey, yeah. And so this is so she takes the cake over there, which then comes back to the title of why is this film called Cake? Yeah, why is this film called Cake? Be- because there are there are two cakes. There's the the cake that the runaway bakes, but there's also the cake that is it Nina? Oh, Nina Nina brings to her in a in a drug dream. Yeah. In a, in a, yes, and I believe that's right before it's Nina getting the shivers. Yeah, jumps out the jumps out the window at the hospital in yeah. hallucination. Yeah. Yes. So why why cake? What does the mm. cake mean? What does it represent? Is there something that it resonated for you that sort of supported its use as the title? Because I'm thinking back to our discussions about comet and the use of yeah. that word yeah. as the title of that film, and as something that I I thought about this of like, I mean, first off, what else do you call this film? And I, I don't come up with a better title, but if you're going to pick cake, what does that say about about Claire, about right. her story? Yeah, I don't get it as the title. Uh, and when I think about it for the metaphor, I, I don't know what else I'd call it. So I don't have an answer to that question. But if I think about it for the metaphor, I think, you know, the story that Anna Kendrick, that Nina tells about the question that they were asked in support group saying, if you could do, if you did not have pain, if you did not have chronic pain, what's the one thing you would do? And her answer was... I would bake a cake from scratch for my son, Casey. And that, so what does that mean? You know, asking that question, what does that mean in terms of the pain? So what I would say is that Anna Kendrick, that Nina brings her the cake and then commits suicide in the hallucination, showing that she's never going to be able to do that because that's when they have that conversation. And the I guess what, you know, it's, this seems awfully simple as a, as a definition for me, but this is what I'm taking from it in that Jennifer Aniston uh, gets on her mission to, to have the cake from scratch for Casey because Nina is no longer in pain. She did commit suicide Right to say that that was Nina's wish. And that's in, and that might be not fair to the story. That might not be fair to Claire. It might mean something more to her too. But I think her ability to affect that or to make that happen was her tribute to Nina and allowed her to get to get to get off the ghost of Nina and to right. move on into her own grief. Right. You know, that's that's where I'm taking it. No, and I I think that that makes sense. She's able to really resolve whatever sort of issues she's had that have caused these appearances of Nina to come to her. It's a way of she's able to move past that and then gets us to sort of the final final shot in the film, which my wife and I discussed quite a bit after the film, because throughout the, throughout this movie, you've got Claire who's just in tremendous amount of pain. And she she is a passenger in the vehicle, always in a reclined position. And early on, we see that she's lecturing Silvana about which street she's on. And it's clear that Claire knows which streets have less potholes and bumps because it appears that that jarring motion of the vehicle causes her a lot of physical pain. Right. However, the final scene of the film, she sits up. Yep. Finally, before before they leave. And so first instinct is, okay, she's mentally, you know in a place where she's overcoming her pain, right. the physical pain. But then my wife brought up a, a point. She said, well, I, I think there might be more to this. And she said, because we, we just get flashes of what happened. And it, I think 
can piece together there was some type of automobile accident. And is it that Claire is in a reclined position because she can't bear to be upright in the car to see what's coming at her? Right. That's what I, that's how I interpret it. Yeah. That she's now in a place where she's ready to sort of face the future and move forward rather than being in this passive reclined position and sort of looking at things askance from the side rather than head on and taking on life head on. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, that's, that's how I took it. Is there another way to look at it? No, I think that's, it's either that or you're taking it as just, you know, I'm sitting up because I'm going to gut it out and get through my pain and I'm, I'm making progress in dealing with my physical pain. But I think there, there is much more. It's, it's, it was the way I guess that final shot is what I expected from this film of, you know, that close up on Claire, you know, facing, looking at the camera because the film has been about her to see her actually take sort of control of her life. There've been a lot of things that have happened and she's ready to, to move to that next phase. Right. And you know what? It's interesting. We had a user post on our Facebook, uh, Facebook or one of our audience folks, one of our followers put paste on our, our Facebook uh, this week about the first shot, last shot. Um, there's a there's a reel, there's a there's a, uh, a YouTube video out there that shows a bunch of oh, first yeah. shot, last shots things. And for oh, yeah. a film like this, uh, I'm going to it right now to take a look and see who had done that. Um, for a film like this, it's really interesting to think about because that last shot is so important, so pivotal to the movie. Um, I'm trying to remember what the first shot was. Do you remember the first shot? Uh, it's. I know they're in the was support. Was it her sitting in the chair? In the, it's her group? sitting in the chair at the support group. Yeah, that's what I thought too. So, that, yeah. so I don't know that the first shot is as interesting as the last, but the last is so key to this. Um, I think it's. I think it's really interesting when you try to put that bookend in, uh, in in context. Yeah. So well, we we spent a lot of time talking about the cast. I think we should, pro- you know. We give some credit to Patrick Tobin for writing this because I, 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 you know, think this could have easily been the, I guess, typical independent film that's taking on an important issue and trying to say too much with it. And I think, you know, Patrick showed a lot of restraint with the script of this in terms of the amount of information we get and really trusting the audience to to piece things together or or allowing them to bring their own sort of meaning to this film instead of giving us everything to to set up already for us that there's a lot of I think work that the audience can do with this film and ask give you a lot of questions to ask yourself and I want to give him credit I think he that. deserves it you know and I, I I always love when they give the audience credit for that I I think you know I mentioned before that I think I like the way the demolition did it better but I I admire the courage of a writer to to show and not tell um, what's happening with the character as it goes. And, you know, again, just for me, the way I looked at it, I, I appreciated the knowledge in Demolition, but I think this is a really strong choice. And I, I really believe that he deserves credit for, um, for building the story in that way. And then our director, uh, Daniel Barnes, um, who's done a couple of films. One of them was another that Phoebe in Wonderland was on Netflix forever and was always in my queue of something I wanted to get around to see, but never got to see. So now having seen Cake, uh, I'm like, makes me a little bit more likely to to watch Phoebe in Wonderland as one of those films that of the 50 that may be sitting in a queue of like, yeah, maybe I'll get around to it. Feeling the, the artfulness and craft that he put into Cake makes me more likely to go back and explore some of his earlier work. 
that you know i wanted i think it's it's well done it's well directed and as i'm going through the casting crew here now too i'm seeing that actually the cinematographer on it is rachel morrison who is also was the director of photography for the episode of american crime that i worked on with um felicity <laughs> huffman was last year which is awesome okay. and she's okay. fantastic uh love love working with her she's super awesome super up and comer comer great creativity and the reason why i wanted to bring her up in addition to the director is because there was a point in the film one of my favorite shots where i was when she when claire comes to the and sees the gift from her husband of returning the picture of her and her son to the spot above the couch saying that he he belongs here, I think is the word that he yes. used on the post-it. Yes. As, and we see, we follow Claire to the sofa as she uh, she witnesses the picture from afar. We follow, follow her to the sofa in, in sort of a close-up near screen. And I'm sitting there as an audience member and as a, as a camera operator thinking to myself, hey, all I want to see is the flat shot of Claire on the couch with the, with the picture behind her. That's what I oh, want next. And that's yeah. what I want. And, and both the, and the director cut it, you know, the editing, the director, they cut it and Rachel had it shot and it was perfect. And, oh, and yeah. one of my favorite shots of the film, and I already, already mentioned the vodka shot. There's a number of those that are great. The underwater shot of, of Claire floating in the pool. It's oh, yes. great stuff. Yeah. And I, you know, I would watch anything that Rachel does because I think she's that good. And I think, if 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 you're a fan of of that sort of aspect of film of the of the the film work in film this is a character driven piece that that shows off some really great talent in hollywood as well well it's time to discuss our flick chart rankings ah, on this one that's awesome <laughs> did you already rank it i have already ranked it okay okay you go first tell me where okay you go so this one came in at number 66 on my flick chart of where am I? I'm at a hundred and something, 183 movies. So 66. So, oh, so it's it in the in, upper half. That's great. Oh yeah. Um, so it landed in between because we talk about usually where it, it falls in between. This right. is really interesting because it, it came up against both of these to, to settle in this place. So it came just below Kingsman, the secret service. Oh, okay. And just above ghost world. So that's interesting. Did you have to pit those against each other at all? Yeah, I th- it came up against Ghost World, and I put it above that, and then it came up against Kingsman, and then and then it fell, and then it fell, fell below that because I, Kingsman's just just the fun. It's in of the top that. five. Yeah. So yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so now for you, so uh, how do you feel about that? Sixty six out of one eighty three. Is that a good spot? Yes, because it's a film that you know it sat with me, you know, and I it gave you know it kept sort of churning and thinking about about this film. So it's it's not one that I watched and walked away from and forgot about, you know, something like that. I wouldn't expect to be that high if it's it's forgettable. This is one I don't know that I'll come back and revisit it a lot, but I think really in terms of the weight that it carried and the story that it told, it it's it's in a well-deserved spot there. Yeah, totally. And you know, and so here's the reason I laughed or was excited to talk about flick chart on this is because it's in my bottom half and I don't necessarily feel it belongs there. But I think we talked about last month when we did Mr. Nobody that I have a, a really tough blocker in the middle. You, do. you know, Pete yeah. and Nadia had talked about how they had their old brother blocker for so long. Yes. I have true romance. Oh, that's, that's right. right. In the middle yes. for me. And yeah. it's totally unfair. Like, I mean, honestly, it's it, so every time I do flick chart on my personal flick chart, I have to com- I, I have to have that thing. Like, how do you compare cake to, to true romance? But anyway, so I picked true romance in that. So I put it yeah. in the bottom half. So right now, cake is in the spot of 80, 80 out of 116, which 
Okay, so it's between Syriana, so it's below Syriana, and it's but it's above Born Legacy. Oh, okay. And I think if I if I look at it on a smaller in a smaller scale, I think that's a good spot for it. But if I try to look at from the whole perspective, I think it belongs higher than that. It's it is a more powerful film than that. It's just you know the way that flick chart sets you up. Sometimes you have to sometimes choices. Yeah, sometimes you get those blocks. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. And Born Legacy, it, that's relevant to us too. Talking about uh, where we're going, uh, going from here on out. I was just going to say, now that we we rewound, we can fast forward to what's coming up on the next reel. Pete and Andy are continuing their disease series, mm. and I'm Another really, show. oh, I'm really looking forward to some of the films. And they've got this like sort of, it wasn't like planned, and I don't want to say secret, but it's this unintentional Julianne Moore double feature that because the series includes both Children of Men and Blindness. And I Which, love Children of Men. Oh, I'm just so excited they're going to do that. Love both those movies. And then, as you brought up, near the end of this month, uh, Film Board's going to be taking on Jason Bourne. So nice. time to, to revisit five. All, all, all your Bourne films. And I know that uh, Pete has mentioned uh, a couple months ago he took a knife skills class, so maybe he might have a chance against Jason Bourne. You know? Like throwing knives? No, no, a knife like in the... <laughs> In, in the, the kitchen. kitchen, in the kitchen, but you know, <laughs> Matt Damon with a pen, Pete with a knife. You know, there, there, Pete might come out alive. Maybe one. if he's working with Aaron Cross. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Justin, it's been a great, great pleasure talking with you tonight. I, I think I'm going to go grab a piece of cake. Yes, tasty. Go get some. I'll- I love the conversations that so many of our hosts have had on their shows. Steve and JJ on Trailer Rewind, Ray and Ocean on Silver Linings, even Tommy's short-lived No, No, Wait, Hear Me Out. And so many films they've discussed started out as a book, a play, or even a TV series. Well, now you can support our whole family of podcasts by using our new Originals page to buy the original source material used to inspire films covered on our shows. Just visit thenextreel.com slash originals. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these fantastic conversations. It's a wonderful way to support the show. Producing these podcasts week after week require a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, try using our originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. It's your one-stop shop for Amazon and Apple links where you can buy the book, play, video game, movie, etc. upon which the movie is based. Original material for trailer rewind movies like If Beale Street Could Talk, The Goldfinch, Aniara, or The Two Faces of January, or Silver Linings movies like Repo Men, which was based on the repossession Mambo. Plus, by using those links to buy books, Amazon and Apple show us a little bit of love, which allows you to support our family of shows with minimal effort. Visit thenextreel.com slash originals. It's a fantastic way to support the show and find a great book to read. That's right. Head over to thenextreel.com slash originals to find your next read and get started today. Mm-hmm.